Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Absolutely. So uh, anyhow, but I'm looking so forward to uh, to this hour, and uh, I, I really can't wait. Thank you. Well, and uh, I hope your show goes well. I I, I hear that your uh, your show is right after ours. Yeah, it is, and we've got uh, an amazing woman. I've known her for many years, Nita, and we're going to talk about something going on in New York City that needs to be addressed, 
and uh, I think uh, worked on, and we're going to ask the listeners to help us in this project. So that's coming up. Oh, that's wonderful. Great. Well, it's nice to hear from you, Nick. Yes, and you you feel free. You join in any time. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. <laughs> the floor is yours, Michael and Diane Duncan. All right. Well, thank you again, Hercules. Uh, you know, this is quite a journey that we've been on with you. Yeah. Uh, you have. Yes, you've uh, you've given us the incredible opportunity to not only express ourselves on these shows, but you have also... We're getting uh, an echo. Yeah, getting some feedback. I don't know. feedback. But uh, you've not only given us the opportunity to be on these shows, but uh, these shows have helped us to shape and to develop uh, this new worldwide religion that we're uh, that we're talking about and sharing <clears throat> as it is unfolding uh, as we speak, and in the context of the magisterial mission. So uh, we are so grateful, Hercules, that you have been a conduit for uh, for this new worldwide religion of love. And sometimes, you know, Diane and I we go about our days with our family and we go about our days with our with our job and you know everything that we do and we don't necessarily uh understand or realize the significance of what we're doing at this time uh it's big and what you're doing hercules is big and what you're doing nick is big and what we're doing is big uh so you know Diane and I, I think, are starting to understand the immensity of what's happening because of some of the the new information uh, that we're receiving about this new worldwide religion of love that is <clears throat> coming through not only us but others. And we'd like to share some of that tonight with you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> so to start with, <clears throat> first of all, uh, Nick and Nick and Diane and I have something in common because uh, we're past leaders of uh, the Ranch Book uh, community in the Ranch Book community. Well, Nick is still, I believe, education chair for the New York uh, Greater New York Society, right, Nick? Well, you're, actually, you're... it's the um, it's the outreach uh, that I, oh, I do. Oh, that's right. Outreach. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay, your outreach. Uh-huh. Um, I am a past president of Urantia Book Los Angeles Society, and I was before that, two years before that, I was the education chair for UBLA, Urantia Book Los Angeles Society, and Diane was also on the governing committee, and she was our hospitality chair for UBLA, and we had many great guests during our time. Uh, with Urantia uh, Book Los Angeles Society as leaders. We had a great time. We had some wonderful people come to visit us, like Mo Siegel, who is the president of Urantia Foundation, and he started the Celestial Seasonings Tea Company. And we've had David Cantor, a very well-known leader in the Urantia Book uh, community. We've had a past president of the Urantia Book Fellowship, Michelle Klamesh, uh visit us and talk to us. 
And, of course, we have Robert Burns, who was on the governing committee of UBLA, who's a past president of the Ranch Book Fellowship. And we were very happy to have Gard Jameson. Oh, yes. Who is a trustee of the Urantia Foundation, and his lovely wife, Florence, come to visit us and talk to us. Uh, and we've had many Urantia Book uh, you know, leaders and students come to our home and stay in our home as well, like uh, David Cantor and David Glass. And Brandy Popple. Uh, yeah. We just lost Brandy Popple a week ago. And she oh. was a Urantia a, a reader for 40 years. So we do uh, hope everyone will, uh, Nick, you too, uh, I hope you'll think uh, of her at this moment. Absolutely. Uh, she was just really a beautiful lady in all the conventions. She would do the prayers and uh, do poems and do um, dramatic uh, readings, and she was very active in the fellowship. Yeah, so we're praying for Brandy mm-hmm. um, and her family. I, I'm not sure that she has too much family. She doesn't. She was adopted. I'm so sorry. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we are all here on this earth sphere, at least on this particular level. <laughs> right now. <laughs> on the on the many levels of the earth sphere, <laughs> trying to do our best. To um, you know, to provide some connection with the celestials, the celestial government. Now, the magisterial mission is uh, is nearing its uh, well. It's in its third year now. Yes. Well. The magisterial mission, under the guidance or under the under the uh, direction of Lord Maitreya, began on March twentieth, two thousand seventeen. The magisterial mission is uh, has been supported or is supported and will be supported by the local universe father and the local universe mother. Local universe father is known in the Urantia book as Creator Son Michael or Michael of Nebadon. And local universe mother in the Urantia book is his co-sovereign at this time. They both gained sovereignty over the local universe and his uh his we call her we call her his consort or his co-sovereign and that's the local universe mother she's known in the ranch book as the local universe mother spirit or a creative daughter of the infinite spirit those two are main supporters for the magisterial mission and then we have an organizer we have an organizer of personalities or an organizer of workers and administrators and supporters, and that's the Infinite Mother Spirit. And her name is Dearest Celestial to us, her personal name, but she's known as the Infinite Mother Spirit in the Arantia book. And we have supporting also the Universal Father, whom we read about in the Arantia book, and Universal Mother, mm-hmm. uh, whom we read about in the Rancho book is the Supreme, the Supreme Being. And there are many other celestials that are supporting and working with Maitreya during this magisterial, 50-year magisterial mission. Lord Maitreya has a group of workers 
uh, boots-on-the-ground type workers, <laughs> and he has uh, helpers helping him to accomplish this. And uh, guys, <clears throat> excuse me, and and uh, other listeners who are listening tonight that have listened to some of our other radio programs and have seen some of our YouTube videos will know that many of these celestials have come to visit us. Oh, yes. I, team meetings and yeah, things. I just want to say I was just telling you, Nick, today <laughs> that we've interviewed yeah. more than 25 celestials. I can't believe it, 25. So, that's incredible, uh, really. When you told <laughs> me that, I was just like, oh, my God, really? That, that was, That's more than I even thought. <laughs> so that's, that's even uh, really astounding to me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because... You know, we get the Urantia Book Fellowship newsletter. You know, they send out a monthly newsletter, and we were really, we were really happy to see that uh, there's a pre-conference retreat for the summer study session this year. They have a summer study session every year that is not the year where they have like an international conference. You know, so they have a summer study session at the Techni Towers near Chicago. And the pre-conference retreat is all about connecting with our spiritual fathers and mothers and spiritual brothers and sisters that we can, we can work with them and commune with them and talk with them. And I think that's a wonderful thing for the Arantia Book community to be saying at this time because oh, yeah. it is true, and that's what they're telling us. Yes. Yes, we can. We can actually communicate with them. And I think, uh, Hercules, um, isn't it in ancient Greece at some point where they felt the celestials used to communicate with them more? Isn't that true, or is that yes, a possibility? In antiquity, they were much more aware of uh, divine interactions than we are now. Uh, and there were several... Uh, ways in which people could communicate with uh, the divine, uh, one of which was to go to consult uh, oracles or through spiritual uh, practices. Uh, but there are plenty of tales of the um, celestials walking among us in disguise. And even to this day, uh, Greeks are very hospitable uh, people, uh, and they're very well known for their hospitality uh, because you never know if the person might be a celestial in disguise. Yes, yes, I, I read about that, that uh, a lot of maidens in Greece, you know, they, they were never sure if it was a god that was coming to visit them. And right. even uh, Alexander's, uh, Alexander the Great's mother oh said that the god came to visit her <laughs> and produced Alexander the Great. <laughs> yes, that was Zeus as uh, Amon. And yes. he's uh, more Egyptian guys. Yes. <laughs> and you know what struck us as interesting too, Hercules, was to to uh, hear that, you know, there were so many gods and goddesses and, uh, you know, spirits and celestials that were a part of everyone's everyday existence, you know. There oh, was yeah. a God for this and a God for that and a God for this and a God for that, you know. And uh gosh, uh it would be so it would be so uh incredible if if we could all reconnect with uh how abundantly the gods bless us, you know, every second of our lives. Oh, you know, I have help all day long 
In fact, I ask them sometimes, I say, well, are you sure you really want to help me with this? You know, I don't want to bother you, you know. And they'll say, no, I don't really, I'm not really crazy about it, but I'll help you. <laughs> I'm here, I'll help. Well, you bring up a very important point that most people miss, uh, is that when you lose direct contact with the celestials, then you have rituals and formulas. But oh. what you enjoy with the celestials is, is something that uh, can be enjoyed by uh, anyone. It's a relationship like any other uh, relationship. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, and what's great about the Rancho book, uh, what's great about what they talk, you know, how they portray that, what you're talking about in the Rancho book, is that all throughout you will hear that, uh, you know, that, one of the most important things that we can do in our mortal sojourn on earth is to have uh, a personal relationship with God, you know, to have a, a deeper and more meaningful uh, personal relationship with God. Not necessarily a personal relationship with religion, although religion is, is an important component of our evolution. But uh, that personal relationship uh, that each one shares individually with the father and mother is is so important. And in that relationship, I mean, what do you do in relationships? I mean, you communicate, you know. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. I, I wanted to interject here that when I, you know, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, when I went to my father's uh, church, which was a, a, an Italian church, uh, in the uh-huh. south end of Springfield, Massachusetts. And one thing I do remember that the priest said on the altar at, uh, when, he was, when he was talking, he said, you are in the house of God, and it's rude not to talk to the person whose, whose house it is. So oh. you talk to him. And I love that. I just thought that oh, just stood go. out, yeah. right? And it's just exactly what you're saying. Uh-huh. Yes, you know, I, I feel so badly for the Celestials because I almost feel like they've been forgotten. I really do. I, I feel like they've been forgotten. Hmm. They're, they're unacknowledged, uh, but they've been very active in our world from the beginning, and they continue to be as active as they ever uh, were. It's just that we've lost awareness of them, and we've lost uh, touch with them, and we've gotten right. lost Right, right. Uh, uh, you know, this is, I think, something that uh, that we actually are getting from the uh, celestials a little bit. That they feel that uh, people have moved away from the gods and gods somewhat uh, in their activities. That they're so busy, you know, that they have moved away. I don't know how it was in ancient Greece, but uh, I think that they were more. Uh, proactive in, in uh, soliciting the gods, but uh, but today it doesn't seem like we think about them in our everyday goings-on. No, not as much. And uh, I wanted to just kind of give you a, a little bit of, uh, while we're on this uh, this topic, because, you know, the, the whole, um, the whole uh, worldwide religion of love that we're, we're trying to share from them to, to everyone you know, is uh, is about, a lot of it is about communication. And, uh, 
you know, they have different modes of communicating with us, too. And they say that they're going to be communicating with us in ways that we don't necessarily know or that we're aware of, you know. But I, I think it's important for us to reach out to them. But, you know, during this time, they're going to be reaching out to us a lot. Yeah. Um, we had a team meeting, a really wonderful team meeting not too long ago in our, back, in our backyard in Maitreya's temple. Uh, Gabriel was there, as he says, he is, you know, coming to every team meeting and every yes. every gathering that we have. So he was there, and he said to us, you know, uh, these the people that are on the screens a lot, and the people that have the headphones on and the earbuds in, uh, that he said to us that it's more difficult for them to uh, communicate with us or to to interact with us or to reach us, you know. Mm-hmm. So he said, get off your cell phones and get off your screens and take those earbuds off and and listen to what we have to say and and talk to us and and communicate with us. You know, that that that's very, very uh, important. And it's funny because I think it was maybe a week or two after this team meeting that we had with uh, Gabriel, I think Thea was there. Yes, Thea. This was the first time that we had seen her. Yes. And and uh, I'll, I'll let uh, maybe you and maybe you Hercules could tell us a little about a little do, bit about you? L- later. But but let me just oh this okay up, Michael this wants one. to finish this. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> but but what was interesting, guys, is that uh, you know we are in a community here in Mission Viejo, California, Southern California. We're in a community that is um, overseen by um, by a uh, gosh, what do you call them? By a by the Jehovah's Witness Church. Oh yes. Okay. So like, so the Jehovah Witnesses, you know, they go out two by two, you know, just as Jesus proclaimed us to do, go out two by two as disciples. Uh, so they come to our home, you know, a couple times a month usually, a couple gentlemen usually. Every once in a while, there's a lady with the gentleman, but. Uh, you know they come out to our to our home and we welcome them in. Oh yes, you know? we have them come in and talk to them. Because there are so many commonalities, you know, that we have. You know, they want to they want to have the world become a paradise, a wonderful place. Yes. They want people to be holy and be perfect like God, you know, and things like that, right? So they came in and they left a pamphlet as they usually do, right? <laughs> And the pamphlet said, "Listen to God," <laughs> or "Are you listening to God?" Or yeah, something that was like the, that, you know. On the front. <laughs> and they said the same thing. They said, "Take the earbuds out, you know, and and listen to God. It's very important to, to in developing our relationship with God." So. Oh, um, Hercules, um, we yeah. had mentioned we finally saw Thea. Now, I don't yeah. know if you uh, have any stories about her. I'd never even heard of her before, but uh, but I just thought I would ask you. Yes, Thea is the, um, uh, I guess, uh, divine flame, you would call it, or the mate or the consort or the wife, uh, however you want to describe the relation, the better half of uh, Hyperion. And uh, yeah. she is yeah. from... Uh, uh, the early days of uh, Titans and perhaps before the age of Titans. And uh, um, I met her um, and got to work with her when I was studying crystals. Uh, 
Cristalos oh. means a, uh, like a solid ice, and crystals were believed to be, especially quartz crystals, solid ice for Mount Olympus. So I had uh, written an ebook about that, and uh, Theo was uh, one of the uh, um, celestials who was working with me. It took me a while to really know who I was talking to, uh, because as you know, sometimes uh, the name is not an indication of uh, who you're communicating with, but it turned out to be Thea, so... Um, uh, I really enjoyed working with her. She was amazing. Yes. Um, we had this meeting on April the 28th. So it wasn't too long ago, Sunday, about 2 o'clock in the backyard. And we were surprised we were supposed to go out in the backyard because I didn't know that beforehand. So we, we had to kind of run because we had to make it by 2 o'clock and set up everything, you know, and video it, which we didn't know. But uh, Thea was uh, our main guest, and she was in gold. And then Ceres was next to her in red, who's Demeter. And then Gabriel, of course, cause, because he always says he'll always be here for every meeting. But, but the thing was um, that they were not the size that we are this time. They were about 9 or 10 feet tall. <laughs> I know that sounds really uh, unusual, but uh, it was really an interesting um, meeting. Um, and also I wanted to mention, Hercules, this to you, um, I had gotten just, you know, like everybody gets, you know, a little coin catalogs and things in the mail, and I opened it up, and there was the most beautiful picture of Thea. Oh, wow. Uh, they, yeah, they have made a, a brand-new coin, and um, they show her in gold, a gold coin. And she's just gorgeous. She's sitting with a spear, holding a spear in her right hand. But she has a beautiful, large uh, shield in front of her. And she also has a helmet on, like Athena. But the shield is so interesting because... Uh, the shield has on the front of it, and Nick, this I, I wish you could have seen this. I'll send you guys a picture of it. It oh, is an eight, uh, yeah, I will, an eight-pointed star. And mm. what is so amazing, it's got a diamond in the center of it. It's a gold coin with silver around it. And they talk about Thea a little bit, saying she's the goddess of all things that shine. Kind of like you were saying, Hercules, um, the gems and gold yeah. and even light. And it's the most beautiful thing, and I will send you a picture of that. But what was the coincidence is that when we had the meeting, she also was introducing, again, the beautiful eight-pointed star that Venus is bringing us for the mm -hmm. worldwide religion of love. And I thought, well, I wonder if the celestials put out this coin uh, to show that, to bring about this beautiful eight-pointed gold star. I don't know, of course. I mean, I'll ask. I'll find out. But I just thought that was really interesting. Um, her purpose, she said at the meeting, was to show the glory of God in all his shining. And again, the word shining splendor and she also told us that uh, her husband's name 
Hyperion, now I don't know, Hercules, you probably know more about this than I do. I just wrote it down. But it means someone who is shining like the sun. Yeah. So I thought that was very beautiful. Is so, that, what, how How is that uh, in the Greek, uh, Hercules? Hyperion? Um, yeah, Hyperion was also a shining one, just like Thea. Uh, it was uh, like the sh- his was the shining of the heavens. Oh, so the shining of the heavens. He, he was before oh. Helios. I see. Uh, before Helios. And Helios yeah. was their son. Yes, Helios, Helios was their son. Helios, Eos, and Semele. Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Hercules. Yes. yes. Can you can you tell us about the the sun? Helios. Uh, he, he was. Uh, Although many equate him as the sun god, and I also count him as a an elder in the solar uh, tradition in my work, um, he was more the illumination from the heavens, you know, uh, uh, something more numinous than our uh, physical sun, uh, with hints oh. of what the Neotheosophists call the sun beyond the sun, right. Yeah, right. So the, behind the sun, the, the lamp of, of the heavens, uh, uh-huh. both physical and metaphysical. Uh, that was Hyperion. Oh, well, that um, is Hyperion. Pull around. That is Hyperion. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention too that her her message to us was very, very um, insightful and beautiful. Um, she said, "We are the bright, shining ones." But she said, "What she wants us to do, and this is her request, she wants us to try, and whenever we see another person, that we are to think of them." as a shining one, too. Because, Nick, you know, we read in the Arantia book that every person has a fragment of God. Yes. You know, and I think this might be the answer to how the worldwide religion of love can reach everyone. Because oh, everyone... Oh, I think you got that nailed right on the money, Zero. What you're saying rings a big bell here. Yeah, because if you think of every person as a shining one, like God, you do not think of them as of of a certain uh, place, location, or culture, or race, or anything like that. You're just thinking of them as a shining one, one who has that fragment of God, like it says in the Arantia book. Yeah, and it's not. It's I, I not think that's right on the money. Yeah. And you know, when you reach out to people, and this, you know, I was going to mention this too. Uh-huh. This happened to me three times in the last day. Is that oh sometimes you're on a bus or you're 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 just in an elevator or something, and there's someone else there, and you just say something nice. Just it could be anything. It could be what a nice day. Um, uh, I love your perfume. Your, whatever it is, just something very spontaneous. That's the key. And people light up. People love the fact that you're communicating with them. And these, of course, in New York City, um, you meet people. I met someone today in the bus from Jamaica, this wonderful woman. We had an incredible conversation, and it was delightful. And it was just we were two strangers standing on the, on the corner for the bus, the bus came, we started talking, and it, it just gives you such amazing energy. And both of us, I think, felt really good we have the conversation. So what you're saying, you're really nailing it, is that you reach out to other people and you just simply 
Give them your best, and you'll be surprised that they'll give you their best, too. Exactly. Um, I thought that was such an answer because I've been worried about, well, how will other, you know, religions and other races and other uh, cultures view this worldwide religion of love, and how can it bring everyone together? But but what uh, she said, what Thea told us, that you look at every person as the shining one, the shining ones, just like we are the bright shining ones. And she said that will help bring everyone together. I love that concept. It's just right on the money. And it's, it's yeah, love I, I like and it spreading too. that, yep, extending yourself to others. Love that. Yes, yes. I love that And as viewing well. them that. <laughs> well, you know, I you think said Hercules. Else, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. You Go said ahead. something else that I thought was very, very important a few a little while ago. And I just uh-huh. wanted to just, just touch that a little bit more because I think it's really important. And that is, you said something about you have to allow silence. You you can't have earphones on. You can't be playing loud music. You can't be give yourself some silence to to home in on on, on spiritual thoughts. And you know, you go to the restaurants and you go any place, and they're playing loud loud music. Oh, yeah. it, it, I don't. I think you probably have experienced this. I certainly have. And it's way too loud. It drowns out conversation, let alone thought. And it seems like all these various places are always pumping in this music. And there's something about that that's taking over conversation almost. And that yeah. that doesn't seem right. Um, it, 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 it's prevalent all over. The, you go into any shop, um, any any uh, all over the place, and you're going to hear piped-in music very, very loud. So anyhow, I just wanted to say to people, allow yourself some quiet time, just like you said before. It's important. Well, I want to tell you that you can do something about that, Nick, personally. Um, when Michael and I go into a restaurant, and we like to go, you know, every if it's not every week, every other week, you know, and take the children, if the music is too loud, Nick, Michael will go and ask them to turn it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And they do. They're yeah, they very do. cooperative. Yeah, they do. And, you know, personally, if you do that, I think maybe it will make an impression that there are some people that really do want to listen to each other and have a good conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. I do, <laughs> we do, I do it all that the time. Also. Yeah, <laughs> no, I do that also. And, and lots of times they, they will. Uh, accommodate you, and, and sometimes not. Like they'll say they will, but then the music is as loud as it ever was. And oh, even Starbucks is like five Starbucks <laughs> within one block of where I live. Five Starbucks. Are you ready? Oh, and, and, and you go in, and you're just oh, you're dear. just drowned out with with this very very loud music. So anyhow, it's something to deal with. But uh, just in general, uh, you need to put some time in your life for quiet and peace just to tune in to what's really important. Yeah. And you had made that point before, and I just think it's a really good one. Yeah, and I think uh, you you said you said the two words that I think are very important when you're trying to uh, connect with the celestials. It's tune in. Tune in. Um, we are a receiving station. When you when you study you know when you study some of the aspects of theosophy you understand that uh, you know our our makeup 
on this physical level and maybe astral, causal, buddhic level, that we have a, a mechanism. We've been given a vehicle, a mechanism, uh, and we are receiving stations also, you know, and we tune in to frequencies, just like a radio tunes into frequencies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and for us to communicate really well with the celestials, you know, we have to be able to accept. We have to, to have the vehicle or the the um, the circumstance necessary to accept these higher frequencies that they're dealing with. You know, because they're living on higher levels, yeah. dealing with higher thought frequencies, higher sound, light vibration frequencies, you know. So if we're listening to that type of, you know, a lower type of music or loud music or if uh, there's a lot of noise around, uh, you know, it's harder to really um, calm the nervous system and have the mind and the brain and, uh, our, you know, our nervous system and, and maybe even our, you know, our astral vehicle able to really receive those vibrations so you know tune in but it but it starts you know it starts with the silence and cultivating silence too uh but then you know there's also another thing that they've talked about with the magisterial mission they've talked about the type of food we eat oh yes series series gave us a beautiful talk on the food again and she's also trying to uh, encourage us to eat more foods right out of the container, like an avocado or a banana. Yeah, the, the natural <laughs> container. The natural container. Oh. Now, Nick, you would like that because then you don't use so much plastic, you know. <laughs> She's I love that. I, absolutely. Yeah. That's healthy and that's smart. That That's smart for the, our planet. <laughs> or a love apple. Love that. Love that. Yep. <laughs> Good so advice. We, Excellent advice. <laughs> So we prepare that vehicle to be a better receiving station for those finer essences, too, you know. And uh, the lifestyle that we have and the things the things we take into our brains, our entertainment and all that stuff, really contributes to, you know, being able to be a receiving station for these uh, higher essences and things like that, you know. And that kind of takes us to the new worldwide religion of yeah, love, okay? Because we're being told some really important information, guys, which we'd like to share. Yes, and Nick, I'm so glad you're here because uh, I told you that I had a special surprise. Remember? I do, (laughs) indeed. Yes, I do. (laughs) I talked to Nick this afternoon, Hercules. (laughs) Uh, What were you saying? Oh, I just said I talked to Nick this afternoon, and I told him I had a surprise for him. Um, since he's a Urantia reader, uh, I, I had received some very special information, and Michael's going to tell you what that was. Okay. Excellent. Okay, well, you know, I, I have to put a little uh, a little preamble in here because, <laughs> you know, this is new information uh, for us, uh, and it's in the context of this uh, magisterial mission and this new worldwide religion of love that we're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to assimilate and we're trying to synthesize to be able to put it out to people and have people understand it in a way that they can, you know. So this new worldwide religion of love is uh, mainly centered around the uh, activities of Gabriel, 
who is uh, in the Urantia book is known as the Brighton Morning Star. He is the firstborn of the local universe father and local universe mother, and he's kind of the executive director for the local universe. Okay, uh, he during during this new worldwide religion of love, he's going to be visiting people and helping to instill truth, real truth, divine truth into their hearts, cosmic truth into their hearts, into their minds and into their hearts. Right, mm-hmm. and Mother Venus, who is uh, who is Gabriel's consort that we have found out in, in some of our revelation uh, that Mother Venus is the the consort to Gabriel. Um, And we have found out that Gabriel is also known in the Ascended Master tradition as Sanat Kumara. And in the Greek as Hephaestus. And in the Greek as Hephaestus. Uh And, of course, you have Mother Venus, his consort, right? So so Sanat Kumara is kind of the the god or the leader or the sovereign Uh of Venus. The planet. The planet planet of Venus. And Mother Venus, in the, especially in the, um, you know, the Ascended Master tradition, is his consort. So they kind of co-rule, so to speak, Venus. Mm-hmm. All right. So they are the ones who, 90,000 years ago, according to neo-theosophic accounts. Well, Elizabeth Clare Prophet told me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she she has put out in her literature too. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh That uh, that under the guidance or the, the request of Sanat Kumara and Mother Venus, a commission was sent to the planet Urantia, here, the Earth, with, uh, with the... Um, 144,000. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they talk about in the Bible so much about the 144,000, and I'm just wondering if that's not what they're talking about, <laughs> these, uh, these gods coming down to the Earth and finding the women so fair. So he sends uh, Gautamaguda, and he sends Maitreya, Maitreya and along with Melchizedek and others oh, to, of to the earth to uplift the earth with Sanat Kumara, Hephaestus Gabriel, and Mother Venus coming also at times to do some work on the earth. Okay, So Venus, as you know, Hercules, in the Unarius tradition, Venus is very, very important to the spiritual upliftment and well-being of the Earth. Okay, yes. so we were just told, we were just told by them that Venus, the planet Venus, and there are many levels of the planet yes. Venus. When, when we look out, we see, we see what they're telling us is when we look out at Venus, or when we see the pictures of Venus, it's the core, it's the material core. But that there are there are more there are finer levels, you know, going up or going around it, you know, concentrically going out. Okay. Now, Nick, this is the surprise. Are you there? Oh, I'm ready. I am. I, <laughs> this, I, is I, I, this is for the rancher readers. This is for the rancher readers. Well, this is this is what they're <laughs> this is what they're telling us that the new worldwide religion is coming out of Venus with oh. with Gabriel and with Mother Venus. But here's the surprise. Hold on to your app. But that, okay. well, of course, you know, this is new information that's kind of developing, too, okay? That that uh, Venus is the capital of the local, uh, the local system, okay? Mm-hmm. The local system in the Urantia book is called Satania, 
okay? And the capital, yes. the capital, uh, as we know in our Urantia reading, the capital of the local system of Satania is called Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Venus. We are finding oh, out wow. what they tell me. Whoa. Jerusalem is, Ven- is the planet Venus. Talk now, about connecting the dots. Yes. Now, Venus, of course, is small. And so I asked them, I said, well, how can Venus be Jerusalem? Because we read in our Urantia book, you know, Nick, it says Jerusalem is 100 times the size of the earth, right? Yes. So, you know, how could it be? And they said, oh, my goodness, don't you realize you, all you can see is just the core, the material. You can't see the other parts and levels. So they're saying, you know, that it is, that Venus is Jerusalem. You have uh, Gabriel and Mother Venus uh, prioritizing on, on Venus. It's very close to the Earth. There's an archangel headquarters on the Earth, and there's an archangel headquarters on Venus. And they both are, um, well, not, um, well, it's prioritized by Gabriel, so not Kamara and Venus, both of them. And and here in the Urantia book, it says that uh, Jerusalem, uh, and of course we we need to put in context here that, uh, you know, that a local system generally, in the Urantia book, a local system comprises about 1,000 inhabitable worlds. Uh, so, and Jerusalem is the capital of this local system of Satania. And it says here, uh, Jerusalem, the headquarters of Satania, is truly the heaven visualized by the majority of 20th century religious believers. So, when we talk about the when we talk about the uh, you know, the mansion worlds. The mansion worlds are in our local system. They're in, uh, you know, tr- they're in transition worlds uh, in the local system, uh, with Jerusalem being the the seat, you know, the seat, the headquarters of the local system, which we're saying is, Venus. is the planet Venus. Venus. I, can, I couldn't believe it when they told me. I really, uh, well, I don't argue really with them. I mean, I don't have any basis to... But I, I just couldn't believe it. I had to ask so many questions, but they kept uh, confirming that it was so. And we and we thought and we thought, well, hey, you know, uh, Gabriel is the, you know, Gabriel is the the uh, executive director of the local universe, which is 10 million inhabitable planets. And I said, right. you know, why why would um, you know why would Gabriel be on? you know, the local system headquarters of Jerusalem. Well, it's one of his Right, right. Um, and it's not our, the only one, but... Uh, for our local system, mm-hmm. that's where his headquarters is, yeah. is Venus. Right, for so, our system. Yeah. And so this new worldwide religion of love with Gabriel and Mother Venus is being, uh, is being done, is being designed, is being, mm-hmm. you know, uh, undertaken, is being effected... Coming out of Jerusalem from the Urantia book, so mm. <laughs> so Nick for the Urantia people, uh, I'm sure that this would be too much for them to believe either, and I couldn't either. So <laughs> so we're thinking so we're thinking that maybe the Earth is a little bit more special than we think, you know, because mm-hmm. at first you think, oh, you know, insignificant Earth, we're just this little you know thing here, and you know there's so you look into the night sky. I guess they did. 
NASA did an experiment where they paid they paid to see about an inch of the sky with these super hel- super major telescopes, and within that one inch, um, you know, diameter or whatever, they found like you know 300 galaxies or 3,000 galaxies or something like that. So you think, oh, you know, the Earth is pretty insignificant. There's lots of stuff out there, but it looks to me like connecting the dots here that maybe this globe is not so uh, insignificant because they have, according to the Ranch Book, put an archangel headquarters here yes. on on our world. Yes. Um, you have uh, you have Venus, which is right next to the Earth, uh, so you know, quote unquote sister planet, where you have a major undertaking from Venus. Yes. For our Earth, this magisterial mission, right. new worldwide religion of love, mm-hmm. from Gabriel and Venus. But not only that, but you also have in Jerusalem, this capital of Venus, I mean this Venus, the capital of Satania, you have the four and twenty counselors right. doing their work for Urantia. For our planet, Nick, do you hear that? Isn't oh, that amazing? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I'm going to when the um, when my program is over, I'm going to open up the Orange Book and do a little more research. And I got uh-huh. to tell you that the word Venus, the name Venus, always seems like a very positive, loving name that always struck yeah. me like that. So I'm not oh. I'm not shocked at all by, by what you're <laughs> disclosing at all. Venus, well, just I, I about was that shocked, but, but they, you know, I try and confirm it, you know, and uh, they, they kept confirming, so it, it really was a, a really big surprise, and I, uh, I'm just so, uh, I just don't know what to think. I'm just so happy that I can reveal that to a Urantia past president. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and like I said, I'm going to do more research on this, believe me. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah, thank out. you so much. Wow. <laughs> and ch- it's going to be all downhill from here after that announcement, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, no, we're all involved in this worldwide religion. Of oh, everyone. <laughs> no, I know um, that, of course. And it can't come soon enough. We need it so badly, as we all know. Never Everyone's more so. a shining one. <laughs> Everyone's a shining one. Absolutely. You know, there's a group here, and I don't know, I don't know too much about them, but uh-huh. I noticed that there are people from the black community that were all white, oh. uh, white everything. And I see them occasionally here because where I live is not that far from Harlem. Uh-huh. And I, uh-huh. do you have any idea what that's about? Do you, have you ever seen that? Well, I know that they talk about the white-robed people, uh, you know, the uh, the Great White Brotherhood, and they say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with race. It has to do with wearing beautiful white robes. And so I know maybe that, uh, that possibly could be part of that answer then, because I do see them, and everything from head to toe is is beautiful white. Well, you yeah, know, the, the local... Winter, um, yeah, the local universe father and mother, when I saw them for the first time, they had on these beautiful, sparkling, white, long-sleeved, very long, down-to-the-floor robes. And now since, they are in colors, but the first time they were in white. And I, I think they did that partly for me, so I'd know they were angels. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, they, they look just like people, you know. So. Mm-hmm. 
I just wanted to uh, put in a couple more things here, guys, about this uh, really quickly. Um, That in paper 45 in the Urantia book, it's uh, paper 45, section 4. It talks about uh, the 4 and 20 counselors. It says, at the center of the seven angelic residential circles on Jerusalem is located the headquarters of the Urantia Advisory Council. Okay, so our planet, if you read your Urantia book, our planet is called Urantia, that uh, the seven angelic residential circles on Jerusalem is where the location is for the headquarters of the Urantia Advisory Council. And listen, Nick, Venus is right next to the Earth, right? (laughs) Yes. Which are, whom are the personal agents of Michael, or the local universe father on Jerusalem. So these four and twenty counselors are the personal agents of the local universe father for our planet. For okay. our planet Earth. <laughs> and they include they include uh, Adam and Eve and Enoch and Moses and Elijah and Machiavelli Melchizedek, John the Baptist, and others. You know, according to the Ranch Book. Uh, they rotate them, I think. They rotate some of them out, in and out. But, and uh, they have been here. Okay. Do you want to tell them that? Oh, no. I'm afraid to tell you that. <laughs> Michael says you want to tell them that. I have been told that they have been here, and they have convened here. You know, we have the um, on the patio is where they work, and it goes up 120 feet. And I have told, been told that that group has convened here for resolutions about Urantia, our planet. Wow. wow. That's, wow. Pretty, that's pretty amazing. That pretty is amazing. Yes. <laughs> you know, also what you're saying, too, is always something that, that gets me, is that <laughs> you're talking about a tiny, tiny little planet called Earth or Urantia, in the uh-huh. Milky Way, as and, and it's kind of like in the outskirts of of the Milky Way, and right. you're thinking we're we're in a tiny little. And then the Rancher book is saying every creature is 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 important. Every creature uh-huh. has a direct route to the yeah. to the Universal Father, and yeah. and just that dynamic of even though we're such so small in so many ways, we have such incredible capabilities. Don't you always? Yeah think of that when you read the book i yeah. do i do and and especially that there is a angelic uh, archangel headquarters on our earth and venus which now i believe that they're telling me the truth that that is jerusalem so you have two planets next to each other both a headquarters of the archangels boy if i if i uh, could do it i would say to nasa go go to venus instead of mars Right. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how if the core would be different than the other core planets because I you know I I I know that Jerusalem is a hundred times the Earth the size, but the trouble is is that we can't see those other levels. Yeah, they're they're functioning on uh, on higher levels. Higher levels. Uh huh. But we can but we can what I'm saying is uh, those they're. You know they're existing on frequencies, higher frequencies on Venus, that we could plug into. You know, as Earth creatures, and and hear what they have to hear, and how we can help our planet and help ourselves. 
And the reason I brought that up, especially Hercules, this uh, the four and twenty counselors, is because it kind of struck me that uh, you know when I was uh, researching the Unarius group a little bit, I found that uh, you know the um, the beings on Venus are very important. Yeah. To, you know, in in the Unarius tradition, they're very important to our spiritual uplift and, and our spiritual well-being, you know. So I thought, here, here's Jerusalem, here's Venus, and there are all of these beings, Sanat Kumara, Maitreya, Mother Venus, uh, Gautama Buddha, Four and Twenty Counselors, all these beings who are trying to help. Well, the 144,000, too. Planet. Yes, mm-hmm. that came. Yeah. And I want to put something in here before we go, guys, because um, okay. we're calling this uh, we're calling this episode of the Magisterial Mission. We're calling we're subtitling it uh, "Preparation for the New Worldwide Religion of Love," uh, because we're we're in we're we're preparing for uh, March twentieth, two thousand twenty, when Mother Venus will come to uh, come to Earth and you know start. Her mission. Start her mission. Start putting those, putting love into our hearts. Gabriel will par- start putting some uh, real truth, divine truth, into our minds. Uh, but the worldwide prayer circle. Uh, we were given a request by the local universe father to pray for world peace for three years, which we've done. That you know, we we sent out monthly prayer announcements to. Your book friends and other friends in our sphere uh, to pray for world peace. That three-year request is over now from the yes. local universe father, although it's good to pray for world peace. Of oh course. yeah. <laughs> but, but that that three uh, you know that three-year request is over, and Thea, whom we met uh, you know in that meeting, yes, she will be the one that will bring a new request. On March 20th, 2020, because that will be the inauguration of the beginning of the worldwide uh, religion of love. And she will begin uh, beginning uh, us the request. Now, her personal request for right now until March was that we view every person as a shining one, like them, a bright and shining one, that every single person has a fragment of God and that we must bow to that because they are part of God. And uh, just like the celestials are too, of course they are, but but we are to think of every other person also that way. that's an excellent way to uh, live one's life and to interact with others. And on that positive note, we will uh, conclude our journey for today. Thank you so very much, uh, Michael and Diane. Thank you, Nick. Uh, This was an exciting and informative uh, journey, and you've left me with a lot to uh, think about, look up, and meditate upon, which is always a great uh, thing. So, again, (laughs) thank you and many blessings. Oh, thank you, Hercules. And thank you, Nick. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much. And don't forget to check out our YouTube. (laughs) Thank you. You too, Nick. And check out our YouTube channel. It's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and Uh Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E, D-U-N-K-I-N. Michael and Diane Duncan. We have 74 videos now uh, with our team meetings and celestial gatherings. 
songs and artwork and messages for the new worldwide religion of love. Thank you all so much. Thanks, guys. God bless you. And before we conclude, I just want to add one more thing. Um, it seems that the universe wants me to uh, publish a lot of things that I've uh, basically kept to myself. <laughs> oh. Oh. Doing what I do. Uh, and the opportunities popping up. I have five people in the past two weeks here locally stop and ask me when I'm going to uh, start uh, uh, holding meetings in my home, and you know. So, uh, oh, wonderful! Uh, I, I heard, so I will I will follow through. Um, but right now, I'm working on a couple of papers uh, to explain some of what I do within the context of Unarius. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I'll soon uh, do that with you and. Uh, with both of you, uh, in terms of the sixth revelation. Oh, how kind! Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. We love you dearly. Mm-hmm. We, we love you love too. You back. Now right. we're going to listen to a brief song called Thank "Evolve" you. by Bumpo's Orchestra, and then we'll be back with Nick Curto. <laughs> Yay!
Invictus, and this is Pride of Olympus. What follows is Champions of Arcadia, a special episode hosted by Nick Curdo, and his guest is Nita and Renfrew, and they're about to tell us about something that is happening that needs to be addressed and action needs to be taken. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Hercules. Great to be here. Great to I'm have getting you a lot of feedback right now, a lot of echo. Are you? Let me um, let me play with that. Um, okay. I will play with it. And uh, can you start your show, or do we do you need to call of back? Of course, in? absolutely can. Anita, are you there? I'm here. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, let's go then. Uh, the program is Disclosure Network with Nick, and I'm Nick Curdo, co-founder and director of Disclosure Network New York. Uh, we've got a truly interesting program for you tonight, and I'm very very excited about it. Uh, let's get started. Uh, DNNY is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan. We focus on cutting edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, as well as many important related subjects uh, from the a wide world of sources uh, that go deep into these very exciting and sometimes misunderstood areas that the mainstream press will not cover. Uh, our, may, our members do intensive investigative research into these various topics and share that information with the group at our meetings, as well as with our Internet followers. Uh, our motto right from day one is, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. Also, we have available to everyone worldwide a DNNY News Blast email service focusing on the topics of special interest that are, and it's totally free. Just visit our website. I'll give you that, dnny.info, I-N-F-O, dnny.info. Type in your email address where it's asked for and click, and you will immediately be on our list to receive uh, these uh, emails oh, just about once a day. It's cutting-edge information. And again, the service is totally free. Now, our featured guest tonight on this podcast is of my very good friend and colleague, Nita Runfrew. And Nita, wonderful to have you here. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me <laughs> to discuss this important topic. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just a quick thing about you, if I may. 
um, you're a member of the uh, editorial board of the Journal of Somonic Practice. Uh, You are a somonic healer, energy healer, interactive body worker, a naturalist with many years' experience working uh, in medical settings. Um, You also have studied with a number of traditional and other healers from many countries. Um, As a follower of Red Road, American Indian spirituality, uh, you have danced in Sundance. I want to talk to you about that. Uh, The uh, Lakota intercession, uh, Durin White 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 Lightning, White Lightning, and is a pipe carrier. Uh, She's also an artist and a writer, and she's such a dear friend of mine. And Nita, that's quite a lot of listings already. And uh, I know you have so many other interests too, and especially uh, you love animals. And the focus tonight is is that it's it's the love of animals and of course the ones we know are the ones uh, since we both live in Manhattan are in Central Park. Well, I also I just want to say that Ed, that I'm 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 an interfaith and interspecies minister and ah. a lot of what uh my my uh, uh interaction with birds is based on on that's it's my ministry. So uh, don't don't leave that out because it has to do with the Red Road and it also has to do with uh, uh, St. Francis of Assisi and so on. So, oh, because oh, I, I believe didn't we need that. we need to reconnect on a spiritual level with nature in order to you know to get through this mess that we're in in the world where it's, everything is collapsing. And I think that's the only thing that's going to to get us through. And we connect we reconnect in different ways. My way of reconnecting is is to uh, uh, spend time every day with wild birds uh, in communion. And I, you know, I offer them seeds, which are, you know, life. And uh, and the, and they, they give me love. And, I mean, a robin at one point brought me a, um, that I that I give uh, chewed up peanuts to because they can't, uh, you know, they can't chew the peanuts. He brought me a worm. You know, and, and I have things like that. So people think, you know, that, that birds don't want to connect with us. They do want to connect with us. And, you know, they have their own ways of saying thank you and so on. You know, they don't just come for food. And I hate it when people say they're coming for handouts because are we going for handouts if we go to a restaurant or if we go to a street vendor or if we go to somebody's house for dinner or if, and, and, or if we order something in a restaurant? No. It's an interconnection, and so this 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 uh, has to do directly with this proposed ban. Well, I've uh, I've actually been with you uh, many wonderful times when I've seen you interact uh, with uh, the birds in Central Park, the various kinds of birds, and it's a very loving, sharing experience. And it does I've witnessed it. It does go both ways, and. It's it's wonderful and amazing, and more people should know about that. Um, Nita, what I want to do, though, is I want to go back a little bit, just for a few moments, mm-hmm. and talk about you uh, as a person, uh, because I just think that background uh, w- would be a good thing. So just to let people know more about you, uh, if I may ask you the first question, which is, uh, where were you born? I was born here in Manhattan. And ah, okay. When I was one year old, my my father went to work in Mexico City, and, and then, so he took the family there, my mother and me, and I grew up in Mexico. Ah, okay, I didn't know that. And uh, did, how big a family uh, did you uh, were you part of? 
I had a uh, I have a, a younger brother. Younger brother, okay. And your your mom and dad, uh, just a little bit about them, if if you could. Well, my father was from Massachusetts, and my mother was from Virginia. And, okay. Um, and I, when I was growing up, I thought the Civil War was still going on. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Really? <laughs> well, I wasn't I in this really? country. You know, I was in another country. And, and I, just, I guess. <laughs> wow. And, and spiritually, did, was your family spiritual at all? And if so, what denomination? That sort of question. Well, my my father was, uh, he was sort of an old, he was an engineer and into mathematics and so on. And he was, um, he was not overtly spiritual. He didn't go okay. to church or anything. And my mother was, it was sort of an, you know, sort of, you know, in the old times, men, you know, many years ago, men didn't have emotions or feelings or anything. And he was yeah, of that era. That's you know? true, yes. And they didn't talk about, you know, themselves or anything. You know, it's like, it was sort of like uh, Ernest Hemingway type, you know, you you got to be a man sort of thing. My mother was very spiritual. And, uh, ah. and and my mother, you know, used to, she was in, she was very much into gardening. She was a librarian. She was an interior designer. She went to Parsons here in New York and was oh. an interior designer in, on Fifth Avenue before she, when she married my father, he took her to Mexico and in those days, women had to sort of give up their their uh, professions, you know, life when they got married. <laughs> so she oh, became dear. a librarian down there. But she was into gardening, and she ha- she had the most beautiful gardens. And oh. I, we moved, uh, when I was three, we moved to Monterey, which is in the north of Mexico, which is desert country. And there are yes. no trees, no trees anyplace. And my mother oh, was a plant planted a lot of trees in our garden. We were the only house anywhere around with trees. And everybody said, well, you know, you're taking up the water. The trees are taking up the water. And my mother would spend her time educating people and saying, no, trees bring water. They bring rain. (laughs) So she was called the lady of the trees by all the gardeners and so on. Oh, uh, and you said she was spiritual. Was there any particular spirituality that she embraced? Well, she was just a spiritual person, and she talked to animals. Okay. She talked to okay. animals. She she talked to plants before it was fashionable. And I think that's where, you know, it's like, although, uh, you know, my brother and I were terribly embarrassed about that because it wasn't sort of, you know, now there's a whole New Age movement and so on. But at that time, you know, you didn't want your mother to talk to animals or anything, you know? And my mother was so even she, in a way, ants. was a little bit ahead of her time when it comes to something like that. Good for her. Yes, good for her. And she, you know, and she, and and she told me, you know, many times before she died, she said if she came back, she wanted to come back as a tree. You know. As a tree. Okay. What kind did she say? Um, she didn't say what tree kind of tree. Okay. I remember when I was in California and we went to the beautiful, beautiful redwood forest. And the moment I got there and looked at the beauty of that area, I went up to the biggest tree and Mm. hugged it. I felt as though I had to hug that tree. It was a very natural experience. I think my mother would have wanted to come back as an oak tree, which is interesting because, because that's, you know, oak trees, that's where acorns come from that squirrels eat. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that, that would make a, a great deal of sense. And also, yeah. um, it's clear to me now how much that you reflect your, your mother's interests. I didn't realize that. 
which I didn't. I, you know, I denied that for many years in my life. I, I wanted to be like everybody else, you know, that didn't connect with animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so what changed, Nita? Where was it? Is there any particular time or area that the thing started changing for you as far as well? I look. You know, I you know I did a lot of things. I was an art dealer, I, an artist. I I was a journalist for for a while. I wrote and, until I found out that you can't really make a living publishing the truth about anything. And um, I guess uh, at the beginning of of, of this twenty first century, um, I um, I had a, a terrible uh, sort of crisis where everything fell apart in my life. Oh. And, uh, I got I got very sick, and I and oh. I and I just I I I would walk around and I just couldn't uh, you know I couldn't function or anything, and then I found out that I had developed uh, serious heart trouble. Oh, uh, As a result of everything falling apart in my life, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't have a health insurance, and I didn't have a job. I I couldn't work at the time. I was just feeling so terrible, and um, um, I. Um, I, I learned uh, Reiki, which is an energy. It's a Japanese energy healing system, and I I cured myself of the heart problems and everything. And I was so amazed that I just you know I went and then at that point I decided you know we need the world needs healing more than it needs more articles and facts and so on. So I gave up journalism, and I just I went to work at St. Vincent's Hospital. Doing uh, Reiki, and then I worked. Uh, I worked in different medical settings and so on. And uh, eventually, I got a I got a massage license so that I could do craniosacral work and so on, which is also mm-hmm. part of the energy. And um, and that just changed me because it because uh, working with energy healing connects you with nature for one. Yes. And uh, um, and. And at the time that that terrible crisis happened, and which was at the time of 9/11, actually around that time, I would oh, go to what? the reservoir. I live right next to the park, and I would go to the reservoir, and I would just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk my grief my grief away for hours every day. And I got to know the geese up there, the Canada geese in the reservoir. Oh yes. And I would visit them every day, and I would talk to them, and and you know I started collecting their feathers, and I started listening to what they were saying, and I got into shamanism, and of course you know, and then I I became aware of the whole, um, our our the history of of of, of Europeans with the, the Native Americans here, and um, of course you know the Native Americans along with most indigenous cultures in the world. A part of their spirit, a great part of their spirituality, is is connecting with nature, with the animal world, and with the plant world, and so on. Yes. And um, so I realized that, and 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 that's when I started, you know. But at first, it was it was the Canada geese. That was and the then, first step. And then in two thousand and seven, um, the. Um, um, I guess it was the city had a port authority entered a contract with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the USDA, to start to exterminate the geese in New York. And oh. uh, the geese in the parks here are are uh, resident geese because they were they were bred, you know, in captivity and they were brought here, so they don't they don't migrate. But still, their migratory 
birds, so they should be protected by the Migratory Bird Treaty. But yes. you know, everything is is the laws are are shoved aside whenever anyone decides they want to. You know, that that's big wants to do something. So they started rounding up all of the geese in New York and 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 sending them and gassing them. And I you mean bringing was, them someplace and then putting them in like a gas chamber of some sort? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Really? Oh, I didn't and, know that. Yes, yes. And they do that every year, and they're doing it this year too. They've 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 rounded up they've they've what they do uh, they 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 can round up the geese that are within seven miles of the airport because they say that that they obstruct the uh, you know that they cause airplane damage and so on. So, but the resident geese don't migrate, so they don't they don't fly out to the airport or anything. So that doesn't make any sense. And they round them up in late May June when they are molting and they can't fly. Uh-huh. And you know, it's just, it's horrendous. You know, they go out to Prospect Park and and Inwood and so on. And at first they were rounding up in Central Park, but then it became obvious that it's not within seven. It's outside the seven mile limit the airport. So what they do now is they hire uh, a company, uh, two companies, one called Geese Chasers and the other one called the Geese Police. And the Geese Police was the one that started and they have kayaks and German Shepherds. And they go out in the in the boat lake and in the different lakes here in Central Park at, at dawn before there's anybody out there. And they send the dogs after them and they, you know, chase them away but they have to keep going every day because the geese keep coming back because it's their home. And now they're using the geese um the, the geese chasers which have these brightly colored kayaks and so on, but they're using drones. And so they send these fast moving drones out and they hit the geese. They they just send them right into the middle of the flocks. I have I have a friend who's seen them do that because he's up at dawn every day. That is horrendous. That is and absolutely it's horrendous. Uh, inexcusable. And and so now we have geese that, for instance, are limping around, and I think it's because they were hit by these drones. And right now there are no geese in the boat lake in Central Park, which wow. is a shame because they chased them all shame. out. So they're going to be rounding them up soon. You know, that's just another example of um, what I thought the Parks Department was and what the Parks Department is. And it's really quite a shock in a very nasty kind of way to know what's really going on. And that brings us to the subject of the ban, the proposed ban about feeding one of the things in the proposed ban is says that, that you know people are not feeding them appropriate food, and they they say you know because a lot of people feed, feed bread to the birds and, and then bread to the geese and they oh it's terrible for the geese and so on, but I mean they want to kill them so so it's it's the it's the it's the height of hypocrisy to say that yep. that they don't want people to feed bread to the geese when they're gonna when they really want to just kill them because they say it's not healthy. Let me uh, let me give the uh, the listeners a little bit of background on that so they yeah. they know what we're talking about. The New York City Parks Commissioner Michael J. Silver, uh, the department is proposing a ban on feeding squirrels and birds in all the New York City parks. And the uh, law, if it goes into law, what that means is that if they catch you feeding a hungry squirrel or hungry birds, that they will uh, give you a citation, which means it could be $50, it could be 
a lot more money, and your name will be listed as an animal abuser. An animal abuser. Which and also it could be that also that is what's at stake here. And you're thinking of all the people that love the animals that they go to the park to see the wildlife because in, in New York City that's that's where the wildlife is pretty much. And and we bring bring good food for them, and the uh, squirrels are very grateful. They, they they actually show that I've seen that so many times, and they're hungry, and they'll take one nut. And they'll go into a tree so they won't be attacked by the dogs that are unleashed. And then they'll, they'll uh, sit on the tree and eat the entire nut and only discard the biodegradable shell. And that's what, that's what squirrels do. And if it's birds, you give them some bird seed, and those little birds will eat every bit of that seed. And there's nothing left. There's no waste at all. So the Parks Department is blaming the rat problem that's going on in the parks as uh, coming from the people who feed the squirrels and the birds. And it, it, since that's such a bogus uh, excuse for, for trying to pass this ban on feeding animals, because that's not the cause of the, of the rats. The cause of, of the rats in the park is because of the stands and the restaurants in Central Park and all the parks that have overflowed um, Trash cans, the trash cans are not lid tight at all, so the, it's easy for the rats to get right in there, and all the discarded food is like banquets for, for the rats. The rats are not eating the, the, the discarded shells from the, the, the squirrels. They're not eating the, the little seeds because there's no seeds left for, for the birds. They're going for the trash and all the food that's been thrown there. And because the um, there's no real uh, scheduled pickup, it looks like there isn't. The uh, all the trash barrels all over the parks are overflowing, really overflowing with all this trash, and so that makes it even worse uh, for for people passing the um, these receptacles. And there's no there's no uh, pickup, so that it's overflowing constantly, and that's where the discarded food is, and that's where the rats are heading. Well, but there was another true. problem in Central Park. In Central Park, we really did have an, an in, uh, you know, uh, uh, lots and lots of rats over the past two or three years. I mean, it was like you could see them walking all over the place. There were more rats than birds. And the reason was that there was construction going on all over the park. They were re-asphalting the pathways. They were widening them. They were creating new pathways. They were reconstructing the bridges and doing all kinds of stuff. And when, and as all New Yorkers know, when, wherever there's construction, the rats come out because they just, their tunnels that are underground are destroyed. So there were rats right. all over the park. And 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 the construction. St- I mean, they were beautifying it so that they could, you know, have more tourists and so on. And in fact, they're 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 destroying the park because, you know, with the more tourists and so on, the birds are leaving too. The the wildlife is not not staying anymore. But one of the but this spring, since there has been no construction, there are no rats visible. Meaning, you might see one here and there, but I've uh, you know I don't know of anybody who's seen. One woman saw one rat, and last year in the springtime there were hundreds and hundreds of rats all over the place. They're not there that's anymore. That's exactly right. That is true, and I know that's true also. And so, so therefore, 
this band is so bogus and so just just so wrong on so well, there many levels. There was a levels. whole feature article in the April issue of National Geographic about rats, and the the article basically said that the the population of rats has been increasing in the whole hemisphere, from Patagonia down in Argentina all the way up to Canada, and in the past ten years has increased fifteen to twenty percent because of because of the poor management of garbage. And they quote uh, um, a New York City rodenticide expert who works for the city and so on, Bobby Corrigan, who says it's the trash, it's the it's the management of the trash that's causing the rats in New York City. He's quoted yeah. right in National Geographic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Um, also, there's another side to this, Anita, and I want to just briefly touch on that too. Uh, one of the women that also cares for animals and is just a wonderful, loving person, uh, did a study of what the Parks Department is now planting in the parks, the bushes and the yeah. trees that they're planting. And then she did some research, and guess what she found? What she found was that the new plantings of the bushes and trees don't provide any berries or nuts or anything for the for the wildlife to, to eat. So that it's as as the time goes on, it's even worse for these animals who want to survive. That there's no natural food uh, there, very very little, not certainly not enough. Well, what I one one thing that those of us who are regulars in Central Park notice, and I I hear that this happens in other parks too, is that they're they're cutting down more and more trees, and they're not replacing them. And that's right. At, at one point, they they opened up a whole pathway through. Uh, through uh, you know the greenery and the trees uh, in 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 the ramble, and you know they had this big uh, um, tractor, this big tractor, and they're mowing all of this you know greenery down, and they were cutting down trees. And I asked one, there was a conservancy person there, and I said, "What are you doing?" And he said, "Well, we're opening up this pathway, you know." And he said, "I said, but you're cutting down trees." And he said, "Oh, it's just a few trees." And he said, "It's because the 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 uh, the, the tractor couldn't fit in. I mean, it wasn't even because it was the path was oh, so wide." No, he said the really? tractor couldn't fit in unless we cut down these trees. But don't worry, that it's just a few of them. Well, now you can see straight through. You know, I I can remember. Well, I, when I've been there recently, and you're absolutely right. And there's a lot of bushes gone, and a there's lot a of bushes lot of gone, rust- yeah. I mean, you used to be able to stand at, at when you would stand at, at the Imagine Park with John Lennon's place. You couldn't see yep. the the ramble or anything because there were so many trees, and now you can see straight through. Right, and it's not a it's not a good thing. It's not a a, a, a beautiful thing at all. No. They're thinning it out, and they're making a lot more paths crossing where there were lots of vegetation, lots of trees, yeah. lots of protection for the animals. And really so the animals now are they're, are they're going a very they're looking for places to to, to stay because it's and less more, and less there are more and more lawns out there. And on the lawns, you know, it's like in, in the winter especially, you know, when when the trees the the trees fall off when the, the leaves fall off the trees, you know, that's where the grubs and the insects and so on live during the winter that the birds eat and the squirrels do. Exactly. And they clear all point. of that off of these off of these lawns, so they're taking away the habitat for the insects. And one day I was talking to them out there, and I said, "Why are you clearing this off? You know, this is where the birds the birds get their 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 grubs and so on." 
And the man said to me, oh, well, when we clear it off, everything that's in there falls falls to the ground, so we don't take the insects with us. I said, yeah, but they're no, you know, if it's not here, there won't be any more insects. And they, they just, they got mad at me and started yelling yeah. at me. Uh, really? Yes. Uh, and then the glyphosate. That's, that's inexcusable. That really they're is. Down, they're putting down glyphosate, which is Roundup, which is now called a cord. Uh, and they're putting that down. They even put it down under the bird feeders last year, and and they're they're still putting it down even though even though there have been three lawsuits now where people have been awarded millions and millions of dollars because they've gotten cancer as a result of the Roundup. And the Roundup causes all kinds of neurological diseases and so on. And I work with rehabbers. And we get a lot of birds in that have neurological problems. And, and I believe that a lot of it's because of, of, of these herbicides and the Roundup that they're putting down, because we know that it causes that in humans. And they put it, and it gets into the water supply, and it doesn't go away. And it kills, no, it does and, and not. by the way, it, it also kills, it kills all the milkweed, which is what uh, the only thing that monarch butterflies eat. So we have fewer and fewer butterflies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've noticed, and this was just a few days ago, I did a, a walk right from uh, 86th Street all the way up to the end of the park around 120th Street on the east side. Yeah. And I counted one squirrel. Now, yeah. that that is crazy because usually there's wonderful scampering squirrels around and you see them and it's a joy to see them. I saw just one. And well, there I are fewer, the, fewer squirrels and fewer and fewer birds in the park, that's for sure. It's like an assault on, on the wildlife, the wildlife that we love. And I know when I was a kid, going to a park and feeding a squirrel, this was in Springfield, Massachusetts, was one of the highlights of my day yeah. as, a, as a kid. And there's kids in, in New York City that are going to be denied uh, that, that experience. And, you know, that experience teaches you love and caring for animals. Of course. And, it's, it's, and of course, this is very important when a child is growing up. Very important. And to not have that, to not have that anymore is just simply wrong. Um, I want to, Nita, if I may, I want to just tell the listeners of something that we'd like them to consider doing, and that yeah. is yeah. to contact uh, a phone number here, which is uh, a phone number to tell the uh, parks department to to not go through with this band on feeding the animals in Central Park, the squirrels and the birds. And I want to give that, if you uh, will get a pencil and a piece of paper, um, I can give you that. And please, if you would also tell your friends to, to place a call and, and say that we are very against the band that the Parks Department is trying to put through as law to, to stop uh, people caring people from feeding the squirrels and the birds. Okay, here's the telephone number. I'm going to repeat it too. It's 212-360-1305. And let me repeat that again. 212-360-1305. And also I want to give you the uh, an email too if you'd like to write to them also or do both. That would be even better. And let me give you that. Uh, it's Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L dot silver, S-I-L-V-E-R at parks, P-A-R-K-S dot N-Y-C dot G-O-V. And uh, please, if you would do that, 
and to be so kind, that would be a wonderful thing to do for, for you. And you're, you're, again, you're caring about what's going to be happening if, we, if they succeed in putting this band through, which is horrendous, and we don't want that. Uh, I, I, there's a group we've got now, a new group called Friends of New York City Park Wildlife. And we don't have a website set up yet, but we will. And this is one of the groups that's protesting this proposed new ban on feeding the animals. So please, if you will, listeners, we would very much like you to consider doing that and and to prompt your friends to also support this effort to stop this horrible ban before it takes place. Okay, let's go back now, Nita, to some more things about uh, your findings. I've seen you. In fact, I photographed you uh, feeding very beautiful and different kinds of birds in the park. And the way they responded to you, it was it was really something. I wish I had – I took some stills, but I didn't take any video. And I wish I had because it was really a wonderful thing to see. And you can see that the, the birds really, really responded to you. It was quite something. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's the other thing that that you know that the parks is saying that that when you feed the animals, they lose their instinct uh, uh, to fear humans, and then they get into trouble and so on. And and I've heard it said, you know, then you'll have birds landing on your head and everything. That doesn't happen, you know. I I'm out there every day with my birds and so on, and they come to my hand when I have seeds in it, but they don't, you know, they they don't go around landing on people. They don't land on me either. You know, no, they don't, they don't. You know, it's like they're 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 wary. It's like even you know, with me, they're wary of when I stand up because I I might step on them and so on. They're not. They don't lose that at all, and they don't lose their ability to forage or anything. I mean, that's that's absolute nonsense. You know, and that's and, really true. And I can tell you too. I've had some experiences with with the squirrels, and I'm telling you, you go there, and these animals are smart, and they understand smart. them. And they they really, they're entertaining. It's almost like they took a course in how to entertain. I've seen squirrels actually wave to me. Yeah, that, hey, I'm yeah. over here. I'm over here. And if, I, if I, uh, I give them a nut, they are so happy. And they're scampering up the tree, usually the first branch, so they can enjoy their little meal. And, and you uh, know they're they're curious about us, and I think it's probably the way we're we're curious about whales. They're so much bigger than us, and you know we go out there and we we want to interact with whales, but but it doesn't mean that we jump on them or anything. You know that's we're right. very careful to not get you know battered by a fin or something. And I, the birds look at us. We're these enormous creatures that some of them some of us are friendly and some of us aren't. And because that's the other thing I see, you know, children out in the park, you know, a lot of children are not taught by their parents to be friendly to the animals. And they walk around with sticks and try to hit the squirrels and the birds. And there, and then there are a lot of people with, and I say a lot because I see a lot of squirrels with no tail. There are people out there with dogs that, that sick their dogs on the squirrels and they kill them, but it, but often they just bite off a part of the tail or the entire tail, and that is so cruel. It's horrible. That is awful. And nobody's, Absolutely. Nobody's nasty. enforcing the law against abusing animals. Oh, and by the way, talking about abusing the animals, this proposed uh, uh, ruling is they they put feeding the animals under the under the uh, um, the clause that says abuse of park animals. 
Number one is about, you know, uh, uh, hurting the animals, and number two is about feeding the animals. So feeding the animals is equivalent to, to hitting them. Wow. I mean, it's the same. It's the same. Uh, two hundred dollar, up to two hundred dollars in a night in jail. Um, you know, uh, um, for for doing that. Can you imagine that that they equate feeding them to to hitting them or having a dog bite off a tail or something? Well, that's just that's just totally crazy. And I want to also bring up our mayor, uh, Mayor De Blasio, because he uh, he was on uh, a TV. And I happened to see the cast, and they asked him about what is going on with this proposed ban and where he stands on this. And he said, well, we're considering it. He said, Uh, the Parks Department wants it. He said, but I don't know if we're going to reinforce it that much or not. Well, what does that mean? I mean, when we go to the park, what we do is we go to relax. We go to enjoy nature, and yeah. we go to see the birds and the squirrels, so forth. That's what we do. We go to relax. Yeah. Now, they're saying, Nita, they're saying that, oh, well, you might get arrested. You, you might get a citation for hundreds of dollars, and you might be uh, listed as an animal abuser. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to fear going to the park with a few nuts for squirrels yeah. and look over our shoulder? to see if anybody's, if the police are watching us? I mean, is that what, is that what they are preparing to do? I mean, that's, that's horrendous. And for the kids and the, also the older people, the seniors who love yeah. doing that, yeah. and then making them nervous that they might get arrested or they might be uh, fined hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I mean, what in the world are they thinking? It's crazy. It doesn't have to be. And that's why we're asking people to please help us with this, to, to get this ban to ban the ban, to get this out of the way so we never have to have this again. So I want to give them one more number, Nita, and yeah. that is yeah. to contact the New York City Mayor's uh, uh, Bill de Blasio's office. And there's a couple of ways that are easy to do that. Uh, 311, and then ask for that, and they'll connect you. Also, 212 uh, New York. We'll also, if you dial that, you'll be able to get to them. And just say the same thing, that this ban on feeding the animals in, in the park, the squirrels and the birds in particular, is, is crazy and is unwarranted, and please don't do it. And if more people will do this, we have already hundreds of people that have come on the bandwagon to stop this craziness. Please join us and ask your friends, if you're a, a, an animal lover, Please get on get on board with us and stop this crazy crazy law from be, uh, proposed law from becoming the law. That's what we don't want, and we have every right to ask for this. Ask for the seniors. Ask for your kids. Ask for the the teenagers that also need to learn kindness. Kindness is part of feeding an animal. Uh, Nita, you know that better than anyone. Well, there's another another thing that that we need to bring up, you know, because there's all this hypocrisy about caring for the animals and so on. And uh, well, I'll, I'll bring up one more thing before that is the fishing. Sure. You know, they 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 lend out Central Park lends out uh, uh, fishing rods to school children and so on, and they go and they fish these poor fishes 
out of uh, uh, in the boat lake and up in Harlem Mirror, and they take they they catch the same fish over and over. They hold them outside of the water so they can take pictures of them, which damages their skin. They use real hooks, not, not the other kind of hooks, but even those hooks that aren't that don't have points on them. I mean, would you like to have one in your mouth? They tear open the the you know they 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 wound the fish's mouth. And they bleed and everything, and oh, and, and there are hooks lying lying all over the side of these rocks where the where the people go to do this recreational fishing, and then and they leave their lines there too, and then the geese and the ducks and and the other birds get uh, tangled up in them and they end up losing their legs and so on. It's horrible, and the and the parks department promotes this as re- as as something that's educational for kids. You know, it's educate and and it just promotes a, a, an insensitivity to uh, exactly uh, to, exactly uh, right. To, and and to, think of it, that's life. what they're advocating. That's what they're doing uh, actively right now. Exactly. What are they thinking? I mean, they're why does that torture? And then they want to take away the nutrition from the from the birds and the squirrels. And, right. And it's, and and, and, plan, then, and and not planting the kinds of food that uh, the the trees and the berries and the bushes. That will provide seeds and nuts well, the, for these animals yeah. to live on. And and you know a lot of these birds only eat, they're, they're granivores. They eat seeds like pigeons eat seeds. They don't eat insects and and greenery too much. I mean a little bit, but they're 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 grain eating uh, you know birds. But and then there's the other thing you know which is in the parks. Uh, the the uh, in, during the migration period in the spring and the fall we have. Millions of of migratory birds coming through the warblers. Oh yes, I've people. seen pictures of them in the skies. And Amazing. They, and and I I went to a lecture by by the one of the New York Audubon people, and she said three quarters of a million birds at least are killed every year by window strikes because they fly into the windows. They they see the glass. They can't. They you know they see uh, trees or so on or sky reflected in the glass. And they and they hit themselves and 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 a lot of them die, and the and the number one uh, culprit, the number one building that kills the most birds is a metropolitan museum, which is inside a park, and then there's also the Museum of Natural History, which is inside a park, which is under the under the park's jurisdiction. Why don't they require that all of these buildings inside the parks have bird-friendly glass? Because there is such a thing. Uh, the Jacob Javits Center, bless them, has bird-friendly glass that they have no window strikes. They, they they put in a special kind of glass that the birds can see, but you know you can't see. But they but the Metropolitan Museum and the Museum of Natural History could put decals in the windows. You know they could put transparent decals that the that the birds can see, and that don't obstruct anything. And they should be required to do that. By Absolutely park, true. Absolutely. There's no reason in the world why they should if, not if, have if that true, right now. If it's true that they care about the well, uh, the the welfare of these birds, then they would do something like that. Yep. It wouldn't cost that much. They've got millions of dollars. They certainly could do this, well, and they, they should be made to do this. Well, they spend a lot of money on putting, uh, you know, all these flowers out in the park and everything. Why not? Why not? You know, why not spend that money on on you know on on helping the the animals? Well, here's an idea. Why don't no, I'm a member of of the museum, the Metropolitan Museum of yeah. Art. How about the people out there that are also members of the Metropolitan Museum? Yeah. Please 
um, call them and write yeah. them and yeah. suggest that they do this, that it's yeah. time that they do this and be firm on that and say that you want your message to be given to the top people in the museum. And if the enough Museum of Natural History, that, too. Listen. Excuse me? The Museum of Natural History, they're putting in a whole new um, edition, which is going to be all glass. And, and again, as far as you know, they're not doing anything to prevent no, this, the birds from nothing, from nothing, flying into it. Nothing. And the other thing is, you know, in in Boston, for instance, in the park, they they sell they have seed dispensers, so you can go and buy, I think it's twenty five cent packets of seeds to feed the bird. So they're educating people that you know to feed the birds the right thing. And the squirrel well, you know that, that's the, that's another that's another point I really did want to get to tonight yeah, before before our time is up because zoos as well as parks all over, including worldwide, yeah. have these uh, food dispensers, and for twenty five cents you you turn the crank and you get some food that is good for yeah. the squirrels and it's good for the uh, the birds, and um, and then you don't have to even think to get the right kind of food when you go to the park, it's already there. It's convenient. And also, it, at 25 cents each, it's not going to hurt anybody, and it would pay for itself to have exactly. these machines all over the parks. And why don't they do that? Other, I think Boston's a good example. Boston, they already and it's all over Europe. Europe. And all, exactly, it's worldwide. And why is New York so lagging so far behind in something as so simple and friendly, people friendly, as doing something like that. It also will educate people. You could put uh, biodegradable uh, p- papers uh, near the near the, the uh, machines, uh, talking about what you shouldn't and should feed the animals. So that would be another way to educate the public. And it's it's not a lot of money to do this, and it would probably uh, self-fund itself once they exactly. were installed. And these these machines are available for purchase. So it's not going to take a lot for the parking department to to do this, and they should be prompted to do this as soon as possible as as a point of education. Exactly. And, and there's no reason in the world why they can't do this right now. Yeah. So that's another thing to bring up to the park department also, and to when the you mayor. Call, tell them to put in uh, these bird dis- these seed dispensers. These right, these 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 uh, food dispensers for the, yeah. the squirrel and the birds, yeah. and that and it's uh, it's practical, and um, it's it's a successful program in every place except guess what, New York City of all places. So this is something we need to also do. Also, and New York uh, City I, is the only only city that is is proposing a ban like this. No city has a ban on feeding birds and squirrels in their parks. So what? So what's up with this then? Why would they do something okay. like this? Is it, that's that's been very interesting. Do you think not, neither? I I heard through the grapevine, you know, that yep. uh, from a former judge in New York who who is who's, you know, knows all of the players and so on, and he said it's the real estate people, the realtors that are behind this because they want to be able to develop the parks. And, you develop know, the parks for what? For more well, look restaurants? At what they did, look at what they did in Bryant Square Park. Oh my God! T- t- tell the folks. I mean, and there are no there are no birds or squirrels there anymore. And there used to be a lot of birds and squirrels there. And what, they, and what, what did they, they do? They, build there? they turned it into something entertainment for tourists. You see, uh-huh. what they're doing in in Central Park is they I, I'm sure they want to have more stuff for tourists all over the places, and people will recall. 
I remember years ago there was a lot of talk about building, putting a building up where where Tavern on the Green is. You know. Can you imagine? Oh my so, God. You know, it's like I think they just want to. Maybe they want to put in more. I don't know, skating rinks or and more. You know, like I don't know, stuff stuff for for the tourists. You know, and do away, and they can't, but the problem is they can't develop the parks as long as there's wildlife there because it's, because because the parks are protected. You well, see, that's, see, that's exactly where I was going with that because I know what you're saying is true. So if and they that get rid is of the, the wildlife, one. like down at Bryant Square Park, there's no more wildlife, then they can yep. develop, then they can start putting in all kinds of gizmos and things. And so what happens to the joy of simply going to a beautiful park that's natural and seeing birds and, and, and squirrels? What, what's, uh, that's what people have enjoyed in major cities for hundreds and probably exactly. thousands of years. Exactly. And they're going to deny us that if we let them put this, this crazy law into effect. That's, what, yeah. that's what's at stake here. And you're absolutely right what you said. And um, it's, it's sad that they've come to that. But that's where we are with this, and we've got to stop it. Uh, we, we have a right to go to a green, beautiful park that's clean, that's rat-free, and that has squirrels and birds uh, and the joy of seeing wildlife. I mean, where else are we going to go if you live in Manhattan or any of the boroughs to enjoy uh, the nature? I mean, that's what the parks are all about. That should be what the parks are all about. And when we the don't park was restaurants. A, when the park was originally designed, it was designed to have areas that were supposed to, uh, rem- uh, that were supposed to recall being in the in the wild Adirondacks. That's a I good mean, point. Places like nor- the North Woods and the Ramble and so on, people were supposed to go there and, and be able to feel like they were in the Adirondacks, you know. And, and, and that they, was the right idea. That's what the that was the focus. That was the point of parks in the first place. And the the one thing they're doing now is veering way away from that original concept that was the right concept for the parks. So what are we going to have? Ferris wheels? What are we going to have? More hotels? Yeah. I mean, are we going to are we going to have ten more restaurants? By the way, on Twenty Third exactly. Street, yeah, they exactly. took uh, some a tiny, beautiful little park, and more and stores that it, will I mean, probably some stores that will sell they Central made, Park Shake uh, Shack. souvenirs. You know, Shape Shack is there now. Shake Shack is there, and 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 they uh, people are eating all over the park. Well, that's that in Madison Square Park. Well, well, right. And the thing on Twenty Third Street that's interesting is that if you were hungry. Walking across 23rd Street, there's got to be a hundred restaurants of all different price ranges and ethnic groups. All of that is across the street. Yeah. Why do we need to put in a tiny little park a restaurant? And that's what yeah. they did. Exactly. And the reason, and the thing is, why? What was the deal that they could do something like that How when the other people yeah. across the street are paying huge rents for their for their restaurants? And across Shape Shack, it's got a prime area in real estate that in a tiny little park as it is. Yeah. So what's the deal? And I would love to know the real, the real answer to that. What is going on with the Parks Department? Well, uh, I hate to yeah. think, you know, but I want to know. I would like somebody, if anybody knows the answer to that, I would love them to let me know. I'm yeah, going to give you my email address. My email address is Nick, N-I-C-K. NYNY1, the figure one, at gmail.com. Again, Nick, NYNY1, at gmail.com. 
And if you want a, uh, a conversation, if you want to know more, please contact me. Uh, Nita, is there any place where they could contact you? Well, they could contact my email, but, but you know, it's, it's Nita Renfrew at at yahoo.com. I'm still a Yahoo. Would you person. spell that out, Nita, so they could slowly, so they could get that? Nita, N-I-T-A-R-E-N-F-R-E-W at yahoo.com. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I think we've uh, hopefully made a lot more people aware of the situation that's got to be looked into and solved. And ban the ban. Ban the ban that's going on with the Parks Department. Yeah. Nina, do you have any other final thoughts? We're almost out of time now. Is there any final thought you have? Well, I think that, that you know, people should, should, should push the issue of putting – these uh, uh, bird seed, uh, the bird, uh, the bird and squirrel food dispensers in the parks, because that's yes. that, that would solve all of their problems, you know. Yes. And and it's like that's that's a big one. That's that's a primary thing. And then also you might talk about uh, them requiring that 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 any building inside the park have bird-friendly windows, such as the Metropolitan Museum and and the Museum of Natural History and any other. They should have bird-friendly windows, so we don't, so so we don't kill all of those migratory birds, three quarters of a million every year. What really? That many? Yes. Wow! I, didn't, yes. I had no idea, no yes. idea at all. And if you walk in back of, of of the Metropolitan Museum, there, you know, it's like you see them all over the ground at, during the migration season, which is going on right now. So that if you're a member, tell them that you're a member of the museum. And if you're not a member but simply attend, tell them that, that you're a customer. And this is something that you want done. And, and they will listen to you. If it just, you but you've got to call or write them, and please do that. Anita, this has been an and amazing hour. And also to ban the fishing, that recreational fishing. Which is oh, terrible. that's right. That, that, you know, and when to you stop told killing these geese. You know, I mean, these resident geese, there are not that many of them, and they're doing no harm to anyone. And, right, and they should stop stop killing geese, stop killing also any birds. Be, it's it's amazing that they're even doing that, but they are. And they're doing it's it right now. On. I mean, they're going to be killing them in June. You know, they're going to oh. starting to round them up very soon, in a few days probably. No, Thank it's you got, very it's, much for an awesome and thought provoking uh, show. Uh, very eye opening. Uh, and uh, very action-oriented. So this was awesome. Thank you to both of you. Thank you, Hercules, for, for being one of the best producers anyone could ever want and for being such a dear friend. And much love to everyone out there. Much love. Thank, Thank you, Nita. everybody. Much love to all of you. And love to the birds and the squirrels. And the squirrels, until absolutely. Next <laughs> uh, until next time, this is all of us wishing you joyous journeys and Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous. <laughs>